whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by an endless series of hobgoblins, most of them imaginary. This is where this whole conversation starts to get really interesting. There's only one solution. It's climate change. See, COVID was, in my opinion, was a petri dish. It was a, a laboratory experiment to see what could happen under certain circumstances. I think COVID was real. I think it was a virus. I think people got sick. I think people died. I don't think that it was the crisis that they that they that they no. declared. And I don't think that the vaccine was the solution. But remember, the vaccine was the only single solution right. for two years. Because there's only one solution, the government needs you to do what they tell you to do. Surrender, follow their instructions, pay attention. Don't don't challenge it. And uh, welcome to We Are The People Radio. This is your host, Jason Preston, and my lovely bride, Alexia Preston. How are you doing, baby? Doing excellent. You're looking good today. I like the pink. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, welcome to the show. We got uh, a pretty cool... Actually, uh, we, we have today on one of, I think, both our like, heroes. Do you agree? Oh, for sure. So we meet a lot of great people in Utah, but there's uh, one person who... Uh, and we're going to, Alexi will share his bio in a second, but, uh, you know, we really have a lot of incredible people in this state. And I, and I really believe that um, Utah will be pivotal, pivotal in, in saving the Constitution. And I believe it's because of the people here. We have some of the greatest people in the state. And uh, we're going to be introducing you to, to a gentleman who I think will be, um, has already played a major role in, in Utah in shaping and getting. Uh, getting this state back online, I think has a much bigger role to play in the future. And we're going to talk about that with him in just a minute here. Um, but before we, before we jump in, please make sure you're following us on all of our socials. Um, we're again, especially if you're on YouTube, jump on rumble, uh, and follow us on, we are the people UT. Uh, you can follow us on uh, rumble, all the major podcast uh, channels, as well as Instagram, just do a search for, we are the people UT and you can find us there. And uh, please like, subscribe, help us get this message out. But um, yeah, without further ado, Alexia, do you want to welcome Doug? Doug Gaiman? Doug Gaiman. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yes, it's great to have you here, Doug. Thank you. Doug is a powerful applied systems analyst, communicator, and authority on management and organizational development and productivity. He has consulted to hundreds of companies and trained tens of thousands of professionals and is the founder of Quantum Management Systems, a 40-year management consultant company. Uh, and we're just honored to have you here with us. Well, you guys are kind. Thank you. Yeah, one of the things about Doug, and this is why this is a real treat to have Doug, because um, what I'm going to just break it down real simple. When you have major corporations, um, like Wells Fargo or the Tribune, the National Tribune, when they start to struggle uh, on a global level, they reach out to Doug and invite Doug to come in and uh, basically uh, look at the systems of their organization and help them restructure and help them get profitable again. 
And the reason to me that's so powerful is we have, uh, we have a government, uh, not only national, but here, and our biggest focus is Utah. We have a government here in, in Utah that has, like some of these corporations, lost their its way and become ineffective. And uh, so to have someone with the pedigree and the background that uh, Doug does to start getting involved in, in local politics and be concerned about, you know, our freedoms, um, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited for what Doug brings to the table, what he's already done. So, Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're kind. I appreciate it. No, we're, we're glad to have you. So, Doug, tell us this. Um, if you don't mind briefly, tell, tell us how you got, how you kind of woke up in, into, you know, because I know when, when you talk, you said you weren't, didn't used to be involved in politics and <laughs> kind of felt like everything was kind of okay or didn't really. What was it? Tell us a little briefly about how you started to wake up and see that maybe everything wasn't okay. Um, let me say, first of all, I'm still not involved in politics, but I see my job as interfering with it. Oh, uh, I love that. Cheers so, to that. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I don't think it's, it's like I, I struggle affiliating or thinking of myself as being in a party. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm not a joiner. I don't, you know, I don't, um, think that, um, the Republican or the Democrat club is a, is necessarily representing everybody or representing the constituents that they claim. And so I struggle with that. I am a registered Republican, but, but um, I'm also, I, I would think of myself as an issues guy. Right. So you give it, you, if you, if you challenge me on an issue, <clears throat> if it's important, I can probably tell you a certainty where I stand on it and what I want to see as an outcome. And it was COVID that kind of opened your eyes to the fact that maybe everything wasn't as, as it seemed. Is that right? What happened was, is that I was skiing in Deer Valley. And I mean, literally what I'm telling you is exactly how it happened. I was skiing in Deer Valley, came down the end of the day, went to check my skis and they wouldn't take my skis at the valet. They said, we're closing. And I go, well, I, it's not closing time yet. What do you mean you're closing? Oh, we're closing, we're closing and we're done for the season. I said, what do you mean you're done for the season? Well, we've closed because of COVID, so we're done. And I was really, I go, okay, maybe this COVID thing is, is, is a big deal. Uh, my brother and I had been following it in New York and we had ideas and thoughts about it, but I didn't really think that it was gonna be the big deal that it turned out to be. So I went home like everybody else and I um, locked myself in my room and uh, in my house, and I think of it as locking myself in my room as a kid, you know, <laughs> go in and shut the door and shut up. And, and that was clearly the message. And uh, so I went home and sat there for two weeks, went through all of the routines that everybody else did, uh, the same routines about cleaning and hands, washing your hands, and I had hand sanitizer, I doing all that crap. And I had completely, totally bought into it. And I decided two and a half to three weeks after that event to, I said, well, I'm sitting here, you know, twiddling my thumbs. I might as well create a model. My educational background is, is physics and math. So I have a really strong uh, background in that. And I thought I'll create my own computer model. So I reached out to the Department of Health, spoke to people in the Department of Health and created a computer model. And three and a half weeks after that, I had it up and working. And about six weeks into it, maybe eight weeks into it, it was working incredibly well. 
it was forecast. I had it so it would forecast numbers of people going to the hospital based on on how many cases there were, and I was really comfortable with it, and I was having fun with it, and I was, you know, it was it was it had become a form of recreation for me, and it wasn't too long into it, it as roughly three months into it, two and a half to three months into it, my model exploded, it just blew up, it, the, suddenly nothing was working. I, it, would for, it wasn't forecasting accurately. So I decided to drill down and figure out what it was. I had gone to great lengths to tweak the algorithms multiple times to get it to where it was so accurate. And uh, so I got on the phone and I, I started to see flaws in the data. So I called the Department of Health and I said, something's wrong with your data. I said, I, I've, I'm tracking it and I can tell you right now the data you're reporting and the, the the relationship between the data that you've been reporting and what's now happening is not correct. They came back to me uh, in form of an email, and I will say that they were very, very helpful. They were good people. They were not bad people. They came back to me and said, um, well, you've made an interesting discovery. Uh, you're right. Uh, we closed two plants up in um, uh, Box Elder County and Cache County, and that threw our, our, our numbers off. So I decided, well, Okay, so then I went back into it and looked at it and said there's these many people that, that are now added that weren't in it before. And the, so then I recontacted them and I said, well, how are you adjusting it? They introduced me to a concept that I didn't know called backfilling. And backfilling is when the data doesn't exactly match the time frames and you're adjusting it to make sure that the, that the outcome that you're describing is consistent with the data that they... Mm. That, that's, that they have. Well, then I challenged that. I said, okay, you could not possibly have, have, have tested over a thousand people in three days. And it became really evident to me without getting into too much more detail uh, that the whole system was flawed. And I, I want to restate, they were not bad people. They were just misled people. And they, um, and they were doing what the federal government said and they were doing the best they could. And, 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 but the system told me that it was a fraud and that the whole COVID agenda was a fraud. So this was about four and a half to five months into it. And I threw my hands in the air and I said, and I'm staying home. And I'm, I, if I go to Costco, I have to stand in line for 20 minutes to a half an hour because they only let so many people in. And I can only get one package of meat and uh, the route of toilet paper. And I said, this is crazy. This is there's some insanity. So then I started to look into the masks. And because I have a physics background, I took the time to actually look at peer-reviewed papers. So what I did in the course of doing that was I found 12 papers that were all peer-reviewed by various different associations and, and scientists that were involved. I only found one that made any sense, and it was done by physicists who looked at it, and they established that the only mask that worked that made any sense at all was the N95, and that all the rest of them it, it were so porous that they couldn't work. They actually uh, I published a paper, uh, and I'm getting into too much detail, but they actually published a paper in, in the uh, Society for Fluidics that said that, that uh, not only were they, were they flawed, but that there was not a single mask that worked, and the N95 only worked at 45%. Jeez. And I'm trying to understand now, sorry, I got... Uh, I'm just trying to understand what all is, this stuff is going, on, is going on. The next thing that came down the path was that we have to have, now we had, 
we had to lock ourselves in the room. We had to do social distancing. We had to do all this stuff. And now we got to wear masks. And then suddenly now they're talking about vaccinations. And I go, wait a minute, time out. So far, nothing you have said was correct. So if that's the case, what is this business with the vaccine? And then I, 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 my, my own projections were that they're probably going to try and force us to take it. This is before they forced right. us to take it. It was as it was just barely coming out. But I could see the path, the data points that were pointing in that direction. So then I said, okay, this, this, there's something fundamentally wrong. And that was where I stepped up. I actually made the mistake. I made a giant mistake. I went to a, a GOP meeting up in uh, uh, Summit County where we had our three state legislators. And I asked them one question because by now I was irritated. I was frustrated. I knew the thing was a lie and I'm trying to understand what's going on. So I asked the legislators this question. I said, when did I give away my authority to be locked into my room and wear a mask and be now re required to have a vaccine? To whom did I give it and how do I get it back? Oh, wow. And it took a, 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 literally 45 minutes. I, it was a circuitous conversation. Yeah. went around and around <clears throat> and around because they couldn't give me an answer because they'd say something. I'd say, okay, so you gave it to the health department. I gave it to you. I voted on you. You gave it to the governor. The governor gives it to the health department. Nobody at the health department has any no knowledge about what's really going on. They're just doing what they're told by the federal government. And I'm sitting here. I can't go to Costco except I stand in line for 20 minutes. Explain that to me. <laughs> the, those are the, these are the important questions that I think nobody asked during that time. And what I love about you is you're, you're such a critical thinker that you're 10 steps ahead and you've, you've exposed a fatal flaw in, in, our, <laughs> in our political environment here because it's, it's all circular reasoning. There's no answers. It's just circular discussions that doesn't really resolve anything. Well, the thing that I've become really clear about is that, that our... Our system is broken, and it, it, it no longer reflects the, and I, I want to be cautious in saying this because it's a sweeping statement, but in many ways it doesn't reflect the, the um, real values and the needs of the, of the electorate. Right. Absolutely. And one of the cool things about Doug is what Doug did is, and again, this is not a guy who was, You know, before COVID, you know, I, I, you know, we've been, you know, very much on guard to the to corruption in the government, and so you know, for us, it was we already knew that there was corruption. But the thing about Doug is Doug, just from just from a purely analytical point perspective, uncovers you know this corruption. I had no idea that it was going on. I did. I was never involved in politics. I couldn't even tell you who my legislator legislators were. Um, I was one of the people that were asleep. Yeah. I, but, saw, I saw an interview uh, a few months ago with the defector from North Korea, uh, Yamani Kim, I believe is her name. And she said, because she watched this all happen in, in North Korea, how you know communist, communism took hold. And she said, I think the biggest problem in America right now is we've lost the ability to critically think. And this is a perfect example. COVID was a perfect example because so many people just went along with the masses. Nobody asked the I'd questions. Like to, yeah, I'd like to talk about that at some point in our conversation because I, I think I have an understanding and a model of what's really going on. 
that. Yeah, so we, we met, uh, Doug, when we were uh, running for, obviously, Congress. And when I came to understand what you've what you have done throughout your life and uh, the fact that you are now zeroed in on, on, um, and I know it's not politics, but, but, but it's issues issues that are, that are affected by political decision-making. Yes. And, um, and I just became so excited because I thought, wow, this is, this is a guy who can be a major change agent in the state. And, you know, one of the things he did is, is he actually got, uh, legislation. He started working immediately on legislation to stop the COVID uh, passports. Yeah, I'll tell you how that happened because that's an that's an interesting piece. So, so I came out of that GOP meeting now more more frustrated. I don't want to use the word angry because I don't do things from anger. But I came out just a hundred percent clear that I was not going to just keep going down this path. So I. Um, reached out, met a guy named Gopi, who um, is, guy. is just an amazing person. He's also a physicist. So I had, I took him to lunch. I called him and I said, this is ridiculous. I want to, uh, he was actively involved in the health community, which I didn't even know existed. And I, um, I reached out to him, we went to lunch and we talked and I explained to him what I had done. And I said, I can guarantee you I can fix this problem. We can get this bill done. But I said, we have to change the way that we're, that we're, we're doing it. Because they had, it was a bill to prevent um, people from having accommodations, being able to say no to the vaccine. It was HB 60, 2004, sorry. And, and, um, and I said, I guarantee we can get that done. And I said, the way we can get it done is we have to change the way that people are relating to the problem. And I said, if you'll put me in touch with the people, I said, I'll take charge of it. I'll get it. I'll, I'll jump in and help get it done. So he introduced me to Kristen Chevrier, who is another an amazing person. Another incredible woman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and she and Delane and Gail, mm-hmm. uh, Delane England and, and Gail Rizika became my mentors. And I called a group together of leaders. I said, I want to have all the leaders in one room. And, and Kristen just... It's, she's just amazing. I just can't get over it. But, you know, her, her vision, her ability to get stuff done. Yeah, she's a powerhouse. She pulled them together, and, that, and we started that process. It came out of that GOP meeting. I said, we can get it done. I know we can get it done. We just have to focus on the, on the things that it takes and, and not put attention and effort into the stuff that it doesn't. This has become a little bit my mantra, is I think we get pulled off into too many things that don't matter. Mm. And, um, and that was... Um, we, we, we launched, uh, two zero zero four, uh, between that, uh, Gail and Delane and Kristen, myself, and the, all of the other incredible leaders in, in Utah, we were able to get, uh, most of the time, almost a thousand people. Um, they say 800, but I was there and they couldn't count. So I, yeah. I think it was higher than that. Uh, over a thousand people for every single time the bill was heard, every single instance at the Capitol. At the Capitol, when the bill yeah, was, that was phenomenal. When they yeah, so every if there was anything going on about that bill, we flooded the Capitol. So, and we have a lot to cover today. So I want I want to I want to make sure we have time to move, to keep moving. But uh, yeah, just so you, I just so our listeners know the, the type of man that uh, Doug is and why I'm why I'm excited to have him here with us. So. Um, you know, Doug has not been sitting sitting idly by since HB sixty since the you know passport. Um, we did the passport second. That 
and we passed it um, this year. Last year, they sabotaged it. Yes. So Doug got a few of the corruption inside the state with, with some of the reps. But, uh, but it also was That was a stunning moment. Yes. I mean, Tell us about that. at 10 minutes to 12 o'clock before it expires, they still have not transferred the bill from the House to the Senate so the Senate could vote on it. And um, uh, Sen- Senator Cullimore called for a standing vote to make certain that they knew that the Senate was prepared to pass it. Yeah. So tell us, because uh, one of the things that uh, Doug has been digging into, because part of the, uh, where there's so much attention right now, which I'm thankful for around, you know, the UN and, and the World Economic Forum to push, uh, you know, smart cities, these 15 minute cities, and, they, and the excuse that they're using to drive what they're trying to do with is this globalism. So one of the big narratives they've been pushing is climate change. And that's one of the things uh, when, when we were running against John Curtis, John Curtis is big on, on the climate change and pushing that. And, and you were very, and you were very strong on climate change. And uh, so I want, I want to shift to what you're doing now uh, because you've done the same thing with climate change. You've started to kind of break it down and realize that maybe there's, it's, it's, it's not what we are being told. So tell us, what are you working on now? And, and uh, let's, let's go down that road. Okay. So I, w- I'm working on creating a food bill. Okay, and, tell us about that and, and why is it bill, important. Uh, I've got it on a slide here. Okay. Uh, it, we're doing three things. We're doing, we want to control the, uh, the um, production, growing, processing, and distribution of food inside the state and prevent the federal government from being able to interfere with it. Why is That's that important? Why is that important? Well, because if we have a, another, uh, they, they got you to wear a mask. <laughs> If they can get us to wear a mask, they can get us. A, it seems to me that they can get us to give up control over our food and let them be the people responsible for making sure that we have it if we have it. What do you see as you look, especially with your mind? Um, what do you see coming with food, and why do you see an urgency of of, of being able to handle this locally? Um, let me go through the other parts. Of okay. the yeah, bill, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then that I'll, I'll come back to it because the, I want to answer that, but it's a complicated answer. Okay. It, it's complicated. Because I don't, uh, so if we, if we, what we do, so there's three parts to the bill. The first part is to control the federal government. The second part is to, is to prevent the governor from being able to call an emergency action or an emergency event that gets the, gives the governor control over our food. Production, distribution, manufacturing, and processing. Those four areas. Love it. And, and the third is to prevent the agencies like the health department, the Department of Agriculture, from being able to pass rules, which we don't vote on, that are going to then control and restrict our food. Love it. Those are the three. And, and I mean, that's, the, a great, that's a great bill. And the other thing that's a footnote to this, but, not, but just as important, equally important, is to make sure we can have home gardens. Mm. Yes. To, and to preserve that. So, the, so if, if we, um, so to answer your question, what's going on? If you, this is, a, this is where it starts to become a little bit complica- complex. They're, so there are three key needs in food. So we have three of them. Three key needs, I'm sorry. Food, energy, and water, and then, and then housing. Well, notice that they're working, the federal government is working really hard to get in control of our water, working really doing, making major attacks on our energy, and our energy affects the food. So um, a guy named Alfred Henry Lewis, this is a really fascinating quote from clear back in 1906, said, and he's been proved right almost regularly since then, 
there are only nine meals between um, starvation and anarchy. Wow. Nine people go without meat, food for nine meals and they are on the bridge of anarchy and it happened in Sri Lanka. Now this is what got me involved in food because what they're doing is they're going after our energy. You're talking about, this is last, you're talking last year in Sri Lanka, is that Sri Lanka, Sri, yep. Sri Lanka collapsed. Yeah. It had, it had a perfect ESG score. They had, <laughs> they had revoked, the, they, had, they had taken all of the artificial fertilizer and energy, things like diesel fuel, under control, banned the farmers from using regular fertilizer, and they had a crop failure uh, uh, with rice, and they, they, if the failure was so significant and this country was so broke, they couldn't even buy food for them. Yeah, and, and for just what, a year, two years earlier, a year earlier, they were a very self-reliant producing uh, quite a bit of food, right? They're very... Uh, oh, they were, yes. So, yeah, they, yes. Were, they were crushing it. Oh, though, yeah. They were, was, but they uh, adopted the UN's things of, of all the sustainability, all the, all the things that they're trying to push for the ESG. They adopted it perfectly, and then they, they, they collapsed. And then it collapsed. And then Sri Lanka collapsed. That's right. Yeah, and the, right. It was the rice, the rice production. Um, okay, so I want to, so, so there, what are the threats to food? And why are we even having a, f a food bill? The threats to food are natural disasters, climate change, conflict, and economic factors. We can all agree that those are four, four, the four major threats to it. Why are they? Uh, why are they? Have they tied um, climate change as their point of attack? And the answer starts to look like this. If you, if we go back, if we go back to uh, 1968. There's a, I've created a history of what has gone on, crises that we've had since 1968. We started, and I actually think the answer to your question about, the, about, the, uh, about COVID, and uh, excuse me, about the climate change is tied to the very first thing that happened, which is population loss. Interesting. So Paul Ehrlich came out with a book and, and promoted the fact that if we didn't, that the world was running, the globe was running out of food, and we had, to, there was a population bomb that was gonna happen, and there was gonna be mass starvation, 1968. That was the first crisis. Then after that, we had another crisis called pesticides. Then we had an acid rain. Then we had an ozone hole. Then we had killer bees. Then we had a genetically engineered food. Then we had climate change. And then we had COVID. And, and now a lot of these are all ongoing crises. And, 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 well, every one of them we're tagged with, if we don't do something right now, the world is gonna collapse. Mm -hmm. We're gonna have some kind emergency. of catastrophic emergency. So that led me to this, 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 this point. The whole problem with climate change is you and I, this is their solution, are causing climate change. In other words, it's our fault. Mm. And we have to fix it. And we, you have to fix it because you're the cause, you're driving too much. You're using a dishwasher. You're, yeah, the, you're eating too much meat. Well, I'll get there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Your gas stoves, exactly. So, so I found this quote from H.L. Mencken that was back in 1918. And this, I need to read this for your audience because, yeah, read it. because it's really, really, really valuable. He said, the whole aim, this is why I'm not involved in politics. The whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed mm -hmm. and hence clamorous to be led to safety by an endless series of hobgoblins most of them imaginary. 
Now, wow. if that isn't what we just looked at back here, yeah, I'll toss in the towel. Especially every, COVID and climate change. Every single one of them. Well, we'll look at climate change and see if it, 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 how much of a hobgoblin it is in a second. But every single one of them forecast, we have to do it now. We have two to three years. We have five years. We have 10 years. Nobody has ever gone more than 10 years in this, in this scenario. So climate change is the only one, there's only one solution. Now, this is where this whole conversation starts to get really interesting. There's only one solution. It's climate change. See, COVID was, in my opinion, was a Petri dish. It was a, a laboratory experiment to see what could happen under certain circumstances. I think COVID was real. I think it was a virus. I think people got sick. I think people died. I don't think that it was the crisis that they that they that they no. declared and i don't think that the vaccine was the solution but remember the vaccine was the only single solution right for two years so so this because there's only one solution the government needs you to do what they tell you to do surrender follow their instructions pay attention don't don't challenge it so what's the what it, let me ask you a question and for real what do you use the number one greenhouse gas CO2? Cows. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oxygen. C CO2. C CO2. Okay. Because you, you hear that all the time, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, let's look at it and see. These are facts. By the way, everything I'm going to share from here on out is, is, are facts taken from, from scientists, not me, for, who have reported the data. And many of them don't get much attention for it, but, they, <clears> but it, these are facts. So the number one greenhouse gas is water vapor. Water vapor. Wow. Okay, yeah. Oh. Obviously, that makes perfect sense. All right. <laughs> so now our water vapor is 95% of the, of the greenhouse gases. Stop and think about that for a minute. 95% of the greenhouse gases are water vapor. Guess we got to get rid of that water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so that means 5% are made up of these four other gases. Carbon dioxide is 2.5%. Methane is 0.9%, which is cow farts. Mm -hmm. and nitrous oxide, which is cow farts. And other is 1.3. All right. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of math for you. We got 5% of the, of the uh, emissions, gases, what we call the emissions, that are, that are climate change causing 5% of them total, and half of it is carbon dioxide, 2.5%. Mm. All right, now follow the math on this. We have 5% of the, of the climate change gases emissions, I'll call them climate emissions, are, are, are uh, excuse me, of the climate emissions, 5% total are something other than water vapor. 2.5% of them are, greenhouse, are carbon dioxide. Humans are responsible for 2.5% of 5%. Oh, geez. The yeah, number ridiculous is, amount. The number ridiculous. is so incredibly small that it, it, by any scientist that takes the time to look at it, they say, that the, any real scientist, any real scientist that looks at it says basically there's very little impact we're going to have, but here's a fact. If we stopped having their version of carbon emissions today, we stopped today, it has a 50-year life cycle, which means that it would take 50 years 
for it to get back to half of what we're currently, what's currently in the system. So the probabilities that we're going to have much, much impact on it is ridiculous. Right. But okay. here is a fact. Climate change is happening. So climate change is real. Yeah. Right. It's always been real. That's the beginning of time. You know, it's interesting. We had a uh, we had a show with uh, a farmer, Doug. Uh, just uh, his name is Doug, but just recently, last week, and he talked about the Great Salt Lake, and he talked about uh, that the pioneers used to go across in a wagon, which means at some point before it was that low, low enough for animals to walk across, low enough for you know, a wagon and a horse across. So the idea that this is the lowest it's ever been and that, you know, it's you're, you're 100% right. The, the Dust Bowl in the 30s, you know, climate change always changes. But climate, go ahead. I don't want to take away from what you're saying. Yeah, well, cli yeah climate, change, climate change happens. It is happening. Um, so um, how do we implement it? So the, I, I put up here, this is an interesting chart. I put up here this, the government's solutions. These are not mine. This is directly from the government their solutions to uh, implement uh, solutions to climate change. Radical reduction of fossil fuels, radical reduction of natural gas, radical reduction of coal-fired electricity. Main solution is solar, uh, to solve it is to use solar, wind, and CO2, or excuse me, solar and wind as opposed to CO2. Radically reduce methane, livestock, milk, and meat. Radically reduce fertilizer. Eat low on the food chain eat no more meat, use less water, turn water off while brushing your teeth. This came off of the government site. Turn the water Ridiculous. off while you're brushing your teeth. More teleconference or more telecommunication. Stay home, travel less, buy less stuff. 70% of those directly impact food. Mm. There's an agenda going on that's something else. At home, here's what you can do at home. This is my favorite. I at home, change a light, drive less, recycle more, check your tires, use less hot water, avoid products with lots of packaging, adjust your thermostat, get your family involved, make it a religion. Yeah. Mm. Worship. So here's, here's the, the dilemma. What is the truth? Let's go to what the truth is, because this is, this is where it now get, starts to get really interesting for me. Not, there's not only one solution. They're, they've only offered one solution. So the real, real science views other causes. So these are called non-anthropogenic. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. That's a hard one. Non-anthropogenic. Meaning, meaning that they are not human-caused. Changes in the sun, emissions from volcanoes, variations in the Earth's orbit, meteorite impact, and tectonics, and these all have significant influence on the, on the climate. Weren't you reading something recently oh. <clears throat> about the volcanoes? No, that's Doug told me. He's, I told you, I, I, we, when we were talking about the show, I said, Doug, you got it, because Doug and I met a few weeks ago, and he told me some really cool stuff, and I said, You've got to share it in the show because I've been telling everyone about it. He's going to tell us about it in a second. Oh, Doug's awesome. I mean, honestly, this is this is a treat for people to be able to hear and, and uh, listen to and Doug piece and, it all together. and piece it together and share this with people's friends because you know there isn't intelligent conversation happening around climate change. It's all it's a religion, and either either you're a climate denier or, or you or you worship the, you worship the you know the so-called 
yeah, well, data. He, and here's here's the fact. There is no such thing as the science. The minute that you start promoting the science, you're no longer promoting the science, you're promoting a belief or a dogma. Right, just like we did with COVID. Yeah. The science is an ideology. It's a religious tenet. It's also what I call the uh, a religion for urban atheists. Yeah, well, well said. Something is fundamentally wrong. That's where you have to end up. Something is fundamentally wrong. My tenant is believe nothing, question everything. That's one of the first things that I learned when I was in, in school. I was in uh, eight years in, in, in school learning. We need more people thinking that basically way. Basically, believe nothing, well, usually question, question we, everything. Usually the kids coming out of school now are just believe everything and don't critically pick anything that you're learning in school. So yeah, yeah. It's we, our society. We, have, we have replaced critical thinking with believing and accepting yeah. and just assuming that some, <clears throat> somebody says something so, so it must, must be so. So um, data is not information. This is another piece mm. we have to hold on to. Data is not information. Da- uh, data, I'll give you an example. Do, Utah has a record snowfall and water of 200%. That's true this year. That's a, that's a fact. That's data. So information has meaning. Information, which is where is all the moisture coming from? So let me ask you. You know the answer to this already. Where do you think all of the water is coming from? Well, before I, I oh, had, you know? I, he already clued me in okay. that it has to do with the volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Spoiler but, alert. So you have two opportunities. Two, there are two basic assumptions. There are other assumptions you can bring into play, but there are two basic. One is, I don't know. Let's look at the data. Let's see what we can figure out. Let's, let's explore it. The other is the anthropic uh, climate change is the science. So what is the truth? All okay, right. so what he's going to get into is we had record-breaking weather across, across the country. A ton of rain, snow, and, where, and, and then the question is, where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? Yeah, all right. So, so there was an eruption in Tonga that blasted an unprecedented amount of water into the, into the uh, uh, not the atmosphere, but the super atmosphere, the stratosphere. And so it blasted 10% more moisture into the atmosphere than was there before. Tonga eruption blasted water into the atmosphere that has changed our planet. And the length of time that it's taken for it to come up from the southern, from the southern hemisphere up to our hemisphere is a year, and it's changing our weather. So we've now had more moisture than we have had in the last 25, 30, 40 years. So what you're 200%. saying is, actually, is all this new weather is not just climate change. There's actually something that specifically happened, it's a, and it was not man-made. It was moisture that the volcano ejected into the air. So how long the will this stay around for? They say there are, uh, so nobody knows. So let's start with that. Well, Let me about tell you science? what the estimates are. <laughs> yeah, let's start, because real scientists will say they don't know, but they estimate. And that's what they're doing. So the estimates are three to five years, and some estimates are as much as 10. So we're just at the beginning. We're of, at the be- of we are at the, begin- at the beginning extreme weather. having extreme weather. Um, I want to read this to you because this is a really worthwhile thing. So here's what now scientists are saying, and I challenge you to find this without working hard to get it. The scientists are saying that the eruption may push the Earth's temperature 
up to one and a half degrees warmer. And one and a half degrees is the magic number that they keep saying is the, is the um, threshold at which everything starts to fail. Mm. So either hold on to your seat or, or buy popcorn. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, pretty likely it's not going to happen. So the volcanoes affect the climate. This is it. I want to read the last paragraph of this because that's what's important. Um, so this is actually a, the summary of a study that was done on this project. And the person at the end of it apologized for, the, for, for making the, st the, the uh, statement because they were afraid that they would be cruelly judged by their peers. But this is the statement. This is the summary of this person's study. Read again, especially the last sentence is Zeta 23. Zeta 23 is a, was looking at all of the satellites that are around the planet that measure temperature and what's going on with the, within, with the weather. So sure. that, that this is a study to study every single weather-based satellite around the, around the, the, the planet. And it's called uh, Zetal 23, are suggesting the possibility that either observations of global warming are flawed, that climate models are flawed, or maybe both. Mm. These possibilities would, if true, be very scientifically important. And the person at the end of it says, and oh, by the way, it doesn't change my, my concerns about climate change. <laughs> Yeah, because otherwise they get to destroy. They'll destroy and cancel. This is a real scientist doing real work, and and um, and, and publishing a real paper, which is a real study. So so what 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 is all of this telling us? It's telling us we don't know. That's what it's telling us. We don't know, and we don't know what's going to happen. But we we're it's we do know that whatever happened in that Honga Tonga volcano has changed the climate. And will and will for some time. I mean, that'll affect hurricanes. I mean, more more moisture in the atmosphere. That's that's huge. We're going to see hurricanes, tornadoes. I mean, that's going to that will have massive effect. And of course, what will what will the UN and the World Economic Forum do? And and is use that for climate emergencies. And you're not here. I would challenge you to find what I'm ta telling you without going to doing some serious research. Yeah, no, ma the mainstream media will not talk about this. Yeah. They're, they're going to just push all of this going on is a, a proof of climate change. Yes, they, they talk about they talk about the um, what they call the atmospheric rivers. If you watch, mm -hmm. um, watch our friend uh, uh, Kevin on Channel 5 News, you know, the yeah. weather weather guy, if you watch him, he talks about the atmospheric rivers. Well, he's right. They're atmospheric rivers. Got it. Where did the water come from? Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, and it's not from you people driving your cars or not recycling. It's from this volcano. Well, it has increased. It has increased the um, total quantity of water in the atmosphere by an additional ten percent, which is massive. And, and the trigger events have always been there. I mean, if there is a, I believe, an earthquake on one side of the hemisphere, there will be a tsunami on the other side, and that's just cause and effect of just the way the world works and weather responds. I remember eons ago when I went to college uh, for cultural anthropology, we studied um, weather and food and sorts of things. So and we went in Hawaii and we studied at tsunami museums mm. about how tsunamis got started. And it only happens when there's other inciting incidents, weather incidents that are triggering those tsunamis in Hawaii. So that's why when you have extreme weather on one side of the globe, you oftentimes have 
corresponding events on the other side of the globe. And that's always been the case. Well, for the, for the, from the Hunga Tonga volcano, it has taken one full year for it to orbit, to go from the Southern hemisphere and evolve to the Northern hemisphere and distribute. So now what we have is we have it distributed around the planet, an additional 10% of water that we had before, that we didn't, excuse me, that we didn't have before. Now something's got to happen to that water. It's now in, the stra in, in our stratosphere. It's in our environment. Right. And if, if we were getting climate change with weather when it wasn't there, right. now what are we getting with it? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's more God who's in control rather than man. Or science. Scientist. <laughs> here, <laughs> manufactured science, at least. <laughs> so, so here's the other pieces of it. If we look at what what does it mean, um, and what are they saying about it, the question is: Does that mean we're going to have warmer temperature or cooler temperature? Probably both. Probably the extremes. Okay. Correct. Well, let, so let Let's here's your a, thoughts. Yeah. Here's a report that says it's the water vapor, not CO2. You won't find that easily. I had to find that in the American Chemical Society. It's the water vapor, not CO2, that is affecting the climate change. So here we've got it, and they're saying that more water could provide, produce a negative feedback, meaning that it'll go down. So we could have, now we could have a problem with the water because of all the water in the air, it's gonna cool it, right? Mm -hmm could decrease the temperature. Let's look at more data. So here, here's another piece of data. This is actually from the government's own data, globalchange.gov. I want you to look at that and tell me what happened between 1980, right after that peak in 1980, and you wanna be sure and show this in your, 1980 and 2020. If you average all of that, it's a pretty flat line. What happened then? Is that what you're asking? Well, I'm saying what happened is, is that virtually nothing happened. Right. Well, I'd be curious what happened in the 1930s. That's 30s. the Dust Bowl. <laughs> that was a Great Depression. That was yeah. real climate change. Yeah. Back, back when we were driving so much back then. All the cars, all the people weren't recycling enough back then. Mm. Let, let's look at another one. This is, look at what happened from 2000 to 2020. This is now looking at warm spells, numbers of days in which we have warm spells. Yeah, it actually flattened out. Yeah, yeah, it's flattening out. Wait, but how does that work with climate change? I thought the climate was getting more dramatically crazier. Well, we were all good global citizens. Oh, that's because of all the recycling we've been doing. No, COVID <laughs> brought people off the roads. So oh, now it was we COVID. need to there you go. continue. It was COVID. Okay, so I, 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 Steve Coonan is the former Secretary of Energy under Obama. He's a Democrat. Mm. He is a physicist. He is an incredibly respected person in, by his peers. He has published papers after papers on it. He said the bottom line is that this, that this is now his conclusion of looking at the data, the bottom line is that the science says that the most extreme weather events show no long-term trends that can be attributed to human influences on the climate. He must have not gotten the memos. <laughs> well, he's a lousy Democrat. <laughs> he's a very real Democrat, right? and he's very okay. outspoken about it. I love it. So 
<clears throat> there's a war on food. Mm -hmm. And the war on food is called net zero, which means we need to make huge changes because of this incredible fantasy called climate change. Now, climate change is real. Climate change is happening. It's happened forever. But, but to, to suggest that we, you and I, are going to fix it by changing our dishwashers and, and uh, making changes that, uh, oh, my favorite, I left it out. I forgot to say it. My favorite is turn the water off while you're brushing your teeth. Right. Yeah. That will save the world. But maybe if we just stop brushing our teeth altogether, we and might. Stop <laughs> eating meat, stop brushing teeth, stop flushing the toilet. It sounds to me <laughs> like that's an agenda. Wear a mask, social distance, don't buy too much toilet paper. It sounds to me like a, a variation or a version mm -hmm. of the same stuff. Tyrant's guide do, to do, saving the planet. Do what we tell you to do. Sit down and shut up. Right. Okay. So, um, what are the what the agenda? Let's talk about the agenda of net zero. What does that look like? The agenda on net zero is to get control um, inputs of the uh, inputs to modern agriculture. Things like nitrogen emissions, nitrogen oxide. You got to have nitrogen oxide to make fertilizer. The war on food is one of the. And this uh, this quote is really important. It, it's not my quote, but it's, it it says that the war on food is one of the most subversive elements of the net zero climate agenda. Okay, so the war on food is one of the most subversive elements of the net zero climate agenda. Yeah. So what are they what are they doing with it? Okay. So here's what's going on with it with this uh, climate change net zero food agenda. They want to reduce the nitrogen oxide. Well, nitrogen oxide is an aspect or something that is essential to creating fertilizer. Right. It's growing our food. Yeah. It's what caused um, Sri, Lanka Sri Lanka to crash. Yep. And wasn't there something also in, was it Denmark or? Yeah, in Denmark too. I'm coming farmers. to 4,000. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Uh, pushing net zero emissions uh, is greenhouse gases. In other words, let's, we need to have fewer cattle. So we need to reduce it significantly because of, of uh, uh, cattle flatulation. Net zero should scare people. The only way to have net zero is have no people. Well, and let's, let's be real. That's a goal that is that if you hit that goal would mean basically no more people on the earth. No serious scientist thinks that's possible or reasonable. No, it's, it's, it's actually terrifying. And you see it a lot in the real estate industry too, the, the net zero goals. And what's really interesting is a lot of it is tied to 2030. Um, and then you go into the UN agenda of uh, agenda 2030 and you wonder, well, it's all kind of related, you know, that we're all aiming towards this agenda 2030 goal to be net zero by then. Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not only not going to happen, but it, it's not going to happen I because mean, pray, of you. Pray to God it doesn't happen. It's your fault. That's right. <laughs> and the cow farts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So that's what the um, um, the cattle thing is all about. Methane. Remember my number, my figure earlier, how small methane was yeah. to it. Yeah, it was, insignificant. It, it, it you, it's remember, just to hold on to it. Five percent of the emissions that we're talking about of the gas emissions, only two point five percent of them are caused by people. Nominal. So so you got five percent. Only half of the five percent is is human caused do we have and we only make uh, excuse me only half of it is carbon and we only make a 20 percent impact on that five percent it makes yeah, no sense. No, you're right which is why i appreciate you bringing this to people's 
tension. So, so the U.S. Congress passed the Farm Bill. This <clears throat> is what's scary. The, US, the Congress passed, Congress, our Congress, our Republican Congress, our, our, our federal, uh, it was the Democrats and the Republicans, but the Republicans went along with it, passed a Farm Bill this year with inflation reduction, uh, funneling $20 billion of climate funds into the agriculture to pressure American farmers to comply. To comply with what? Cut back on fertilizer, change the, uh, stop driving diesel. See, the two things that, that farmers have to have is diesel fuel mm -hmm. and they have to have uh, fertilizer. Well, they don't have to have it, but it, it, would, it, would, make immediately, it, it would immediately create for us a catastrophic um, shortage of food. And this is what frustrates me about here in Utah is, you know, we have, you know, again, one of our reps, John Curtis, who is, who is the leader of the, of the Republican Climate Change Caucus, driving this type of stuff. If we have representatives, let's just say they're naive and they just follow, they just drink the Kool-Aid, they believe this stuff. If they're not intelligent enough to be able to challenge this and think critically, they shouldn't even be in office. And if, and if they are smart enough, they know what's going on, they're just part of the agenda, there is no excuse. These people need to be cleaned out. Well, that you, you know, cannot be passing this type of legislation. It's going to destroy this country. Yeah, that uh, I that goes to the issue of politics. You know that I'm not really, um, I'm really incompetent in those kinds of discussions. I you know I've been surprised at every turn. So I'm not effective in making political kinds of decisions. I can tell you that that they are ill-informed, and that's the problem. I don't know if informing them would make any difference but I am 100% clear that you can't possibly have a real serious conversation about climate change and, and understand the data and come away saying, we have to do all of these things that they're declaring. Now I am, I love to mountain climb, I love to rock climb. I don't rock climb anymore, but I did a lot. I love to ski, I hike all the time, and I love the outdoors and I love nature and I am an environmentalist. I'm a tree hugger. I'm just a realistic tree hugger, I'm not gonna, try and solve the environment problems by doing things that are going to destroy the environment and destroy humanity. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the people at, when very often in this conversation at this point, somebody will start to say, well, are you a, a climate denier? And my comment is no, I'm a BS denier. Yeah. Oh, well said. So what this about food prices? So food prices are, uh, so here's the question. This is, this is where we are. So if, Congress is passing this bill. They're funneling $20 billion to get to pay farmers to get rid of their cows, cut back on cattle, cut back on fertilizer, and, and, um, and change the way in which they, they, they grow, similar to Sri Lanka. It's crazy. Okay, so, so, so you ask yourself, that's their agenda. They're driving that. They're paying farmers who don't know better who understand or who are struggling financially is, right now thank you better because said. of these decisions they've been making in thank the you past. that's better said that's correct that is really closer to it but they don't really understand the long-term implications of it and so they they take the money because they need it you're 100 percent correct on that and and um and we have um the potential of having some real food issues yes so let's let's talk about those food prices have gone up uh, thirteen point one percent. Desert. Uh, excuse me. KSL announced 
Monday of this week or Friday of last week, I've lost track of time, that food prices in Utah were up 20%. Well, it was interesting. Just earlier this week, I met a viewer um, that watches the show, and she actually had a organic food storage business for 34 years. And about two years ago, she said that the farmers that she ordered from were having a difficult time fulfilling all of her orders. And in spite of the fact that the orders were uh, no longer uh, semi-loads, they would just almost be missing several different items. And then to make matters worse, everyone's order that would come in, they'd get a call that it doubled or more from the price that were, they were quoted. Uh, and that was the real reason that they just they couldn't fulfill orders anymore for, for food um, survival. And she still helps people with it. But basically, this was within the last two years. So this isn't just, oh, this year, you know, with the, with the act that was, that was just put into to play with the Inflation Reduction Act. This has been going on for years. This has been a slow creep in. It to, is. To demise. It has. Demise. Well, remember, they've been driving this climate change agenda for approximately the last um, 20 years. Right. The, the for, Obama formally declared it as an issue in 2012. That's when it started to seriously impact farmers and ranchers. It's been the boogeyman. Yeah, Rome didn't fall in a day. Right. Yeah, so, so then let's ask this question. How does a food shortage show up? What, is the, what are some of the first um, indicators that we're going to have a food shortage? And then we have to ask ourselves the question, is it realistic that we would have a real food shortage here in Utah? So the first question, the answer to the first question is how does a food shortage show up? It shows up at higher prices. Right. You look at eggs, what's going, you know, you, it's not uncommon now, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars for a carton of eggs. Right here. There you there are. You go. <laughs> there you are. In England, at the time that I prepared this, did this first analysis, which is about 60 days ago, it was up, uh, uh, food prices were up 17.5%. In Utah, they're up about, uh, they say they're up about 12. But the problem is, is that they, they play games with the data yeah. as well. Yeah. So when they talk about inflation, they talk about us and food prices, they're, they're playing a game. So, but these are real numbers. These are numbers from the uh, Deseret Yeah, news. I mean, go out to dinner, go out to lunch. The prices have gone up dramatically. It's hard to get anything for under 13, you know, 13 bucks now. Yeah, here, and here, here what we've got is, is uh, cow herds. This is important. This is, goes to the point you were making a few moments ago. Cow her, cattle, cattle herds have dropped to the lowest level, the lowest inventory since 1962, wow. Wow. there is a huge campaign to reduce cattle. Yeah. Now, you've already seen the numbers. I did that with you earlier, with the role that methane plays in, in this 5% number. It's a 0.9%. So now the question is, um, why? What, are they, what is really the agenda? Well, if they don't have, if we don't have meat, what an easy way to control it, because then the only way we get protein is with them processing people, companies, government, providing us with processed, processed food. So now they've, uh, you, you can't watch the news and miss the fact that they're promoting bugs. Right, right. And as, then as a protein. The explosions and, and uh, fires that are happening at uh, cattle, was it in Texas? Oh, you know, yeah, 20, the eggplants catching on fire, the, ca the, the uh, 
cattle farms, cattle farms, the uh, production places. It's, you know, I've it's done I've insane. done some I did some real solid research into that to see if that if I could find out <clears throat> um, if there was some correlation. Correlation isn't causation, and so I was really concerned if there was a, a relationship between a correlated a correlation between what they were trying to do and and uh, uh, what they were doing to food plants. I can't really find that there's a there's a correlation. It's an amazing coincidence. Yes, it is an amazing coincidence. Mm -hmm. I would agree Airplanes with that. crash into it, um, uh, fires start, and and I, uh, it is up. It isn't catastrophically up, but it's an, still an amazing coincidence. Yeah, I would agree with yeah. that. Forty percent of the world for, food program comes from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, the UN climate report claims livestock alone are responsible for 18% of greenhouse gas emissions. That is completely without any basis at all. Yeah. And Bill Gates has started to buy um, uh, cattle ranches, and he's buying cattle ranches. Why is he buying cattle ranches? One stated agenda to reduce cattle, to reduce the cattle, size of the cattle herds. Now. Why is he doing that? I don't have an answer to why, but it's really clear to me. It doesn't that's, seem that it's part of a larger agenda. Yeah, there's, there's no question. There's something nefarious happening, especially since he's a big proponent of the the bugs that we should be eating. Yes, and genetically modified mosquitoes, and he's and he, MR, mRNA in, in vaccinations, and they're talking about vaccinating the animals. Well, this yes. is the next one. Is they won't they they want to vaccinate. Uh, the animals, they want to give it to them orally and va through vaccination, the mRNA. You know, why are they so in love with the mRNA? Yeah, I, it's, it's, I don't, it's, it's scary what's going on. I don't have answers to it. I can tell you that there's a problem. Dutch farmers are on the uh, are 3,000 farms, what we were talking about earlier. Now they up, upgraded that to a total of 4,000 farm, farms. Wow. And then Sri Lanka, we talked about that, what's going on and food shortages. So here are the food shortages that the government is projecting for 2023-2024. Uh, In March of 23, uh, March 3rd, the, uh, uh, the market that tracks this data said that they estimate that there's going to be over $21 billion in crop losses this year due to, guess what, weather. An estimated 30 million crops have been damaged by the record-breaking rains in China. This is, the, this is in the southern hemisphere, that rain that we talked about. Mm -hmm. See, the, the, the this, uh, volcano in, uh, that's what we're going to do next. In the Tonga. The Tonga, Honga Tonga volcano added 10% more moisture to the air. Right. And it's now coming out in China. Uh, uh, Australia had, uh, has lost food production. Brazil lost food production. Argentina has lost food production because of the water. So a mix between bad political decisions and actual, you know, let's call it the circumstances of God, uh, we got some problems coming. Well, I, there's one more, uh, one more point. You know who Amos Miller is? No. Okay, Amos Miller is an Amish farmer. He is, uh, he sells his food. He's in the, um, uh, the Middle East, uh, the, excuse me. 
is in the eastern part of the United States. He sells organic grown food, and he's careful to make sure that it's all protected. Yeah, I know who he is now. Uh, from, from outside influences. He's an Amish farmer, so he grows it according to Amish, Amish customs. He was arrested at gunpoint. They went in to his uh, farm with SWAT, with a SWAT team or the equivalent of a SWAT team, arrested him. He's currently under um, a fine for $200,000, and he has to pay $50,000 just to stay out of jail, and he cannot sell his food anymore because they don't like the fact that he is selling food unregulated without wow. the government. This is why the bill was created, because they have the capacity and they are to do it, and they are, in fact, doing it. And you can find that. That's not, that's not a secret. No, that, no. That's, uh, the, as soon as you start talking, I remembered who he was. That's, I think that's gotten out there. Yeah. Now, look one more time. This is the last 30 days, this chart is the last 30 days. Look at what's happened to cattle prices. Skyrocketing. That's a, a wow. screen capture directly off of a, my brother David's computer. Wow. That's what's going on with cattle, cattle prices, and it keeps going up. So multiple data points um, begin to show patterns. What we're talking about today is, are, are, the, are these patterns. And you can begin to anticipate the future with a set of patterns that show where things are going or how things are happening. So my, in my, my world, looks to me like we're going down the road at 80 miles an hour. We have all kinds of signs that are telling us that there are uh, the, the bridges out. We need to slow down. We've had a lot of those signs. That's a lot of what I've shared today. And we have to either slow down or recognize that we're in for a collision. That's a great that's, analogy. Sounds like me skiing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great analogy because I feel like that's where we are in, uh, in this state is, you know, we are just moving so quickly towards, you know, decisions being made based on climate change. You know, the, the, the smart stuff going on with, with our governors, the surveillance state, the, you know, take, you know, cutting out our, 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 you know, our farmers and taking away their water and, and, and yes, we are going down the road, I would say, 100 miles an hour, but it's not just, but I think we, as a society, we're going down that road at 80 to 100 miles an hour, and the signs are there, but we're so busy looking at our iPhones, you know, or, or looking at the this, at this, this speed, we're just so, like zombies, we're not looking up and saying, exactly, he's right, slow down, let's, let's, let's have a conversation, let's talk to, you know, the people making this, these decisions, and make sure that we're thinking about our children, because that cliff is coming. It is coming, and here, here's the thing that we can count on, is it doesn't matter, this is my position on it, and I call it, you know, we win or we win. If I'm completely in error about forecasting what is gonna happen, I'm not a prognosticator, I don't forecast, but I look at the going down the road at 80 miles an hour and I see the road signs. If, if we're right that we are heading to a bridge that is out, and we stop, so we slow down, and we, we carefully start to manage our path, our outcome, we win. If we're yes. completely wrong, we win. So we if can't. We, if we slow down and have a conversation. If we don't even do, if, as long as what we do is take responsibility for the fact that the bridge is out. Yeah. And if the bridge isn't out and we made it and we were lied to and it didn't turn out that way, everything turns out well as well. 
you know, this is what I really struggle with is like, you know, we bring you on the show and talk about, you know, very factual. I mean, this isn't, this is not debatable. This is actual, you know, data. We bring on Chelsea, we bring on different people and talk about, you know, things that are happening. We'd look at what the World Economic Forum right on their own website, what they're trying to do in the, in the UN. And we look at what's happening in China with their social credit score. These are not fabricated, you know, conspiracies as, as uh, you know, Governor Cox like to call it. This is factual things. And it's like, people are so afraid just to slow down and, and pay attention to look, to read the signs, because if people just slow down and, and just give credence to this, to this, to these signs, it doesn't, it, these are facts. Here's, here's my position on it. When people have asked me, well, am I a climate denier? I say, I'm a, I'm a BS denier. All I'm doing is giving you facts that I have pulled from the system. So, the, the, and it's the government's data. So I don't know how anybody can challenge. It's like, I didn't make up the 5% of the... Of no. the and another thing too is, is, you know, this is the other thing that I really is, is so difficult is, is that people can't also see the fact that you put out just these facts and we know darn good and well when YouTube gets this, if they don't, you know, give us a strike or turn down off our channel, they will come up with disclaimers It'll come up with warnings. It'll come up with fact checkers. It'll do anything it can to to subvert and push this information and bury it. Um, that should give people alarms. And, th and, th and that's what just blows my mind is people can't see, ah, this stuff doesn't look right. Like you know, there's something wrong here. Well, there's I think, a problem. I think that, stand by. I'm standing by. Because uh, 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 this is a quote from from Steve Coonan. He says, as a scientist, I want to quote, I want to read them because many people won't buy his book, but because it is a complicated book. It is a, it's a book that it's not, you're not going to read it for uh, recreation. Right. But he is a, he is the um, undersecretary of science for Obama and a Democrat. And here's what he says. As a scientist, I'm disappointed that so many individuals and organizations in the scientific community are demonstrably misrepresenting the science in an effort to persuade rather than inform. Yeah, exactly. And he says, what I, this is the last, sentence, last thing he says in his book. And I strongly, the reason I put it up there is I strongly recommend people, anybody who wants to read something technical, it's not terribly technical, but it's not, uh, it's not table, table talk reading. Um, he says, what I, what I think we should do in short is to begin by restoring integrity to the way science informs society's decisions on climate and energy. We need to move from the science to science. Wow. Climate change is real. The full history of the planet, this is a great, something that I really enjoy talking about. Sahara Desert, I did research into this. As I started getting into this and studying this, I said, I wanna know, um, about the Sahara Desert because I know for a fact 8,500 years ago to 10,000 years ago, it was lush and green and it was, um, uh, and you could farm, it was being farmed. So I'm curious as to what happened. Somewhere between 8,000 years ago and 4,500 years ago, it became a desert. So in the course of doing research on it, I found, and I'm not kidding you about this, and you, you do a little bit of research, you'll find, you'll find a scientist who studied it and said, it's because the nomads 
We're domesticating animals and they ate all the grass. <laughs> oh my gosh. Climate. It's people again did it. They, you know, we are the cause. You are the cause. Yeah. No, we're not. We are the cancer. Yeah, we are not the people. We are the cause. Um, so the, the whole notion of anthropogenic, uh, uh, cause human caused climate change is flawed. It's flawed in its face. It's our ability to really influence, uh, fly, um, nobody, nobody, no real scientist looking at the data thinks that we can change it by changing, our, change the outcome of climate change by changing our dishwasher. All right. The atmosphere, uh, the CO2 has that half-life of 50 years, and we need to disallow CESG and controlling flow of capital. We have great risk. This is, what we're, this is one of my number one issues. We have great risk in government's emergency power to use and bypass the legislature. Does that sound like COVID? Yeah, mm -hmm. and, so and we have a governor that's not afraid to use that. This is where I got hooked. This is what pulled me into this conversation, this particular point. They, they can do price controls. I'll give you a worst case scenario. I'll give you a worst case scenario. Let's not talk about whether or not the government is good or bad. Let's talk about what would happen if, for real if we had an earthquake that was catastrophic or the volcano in, in uh, Yellowstone Park erupted and created a catastrophic condition. First thing the government would do is they declare an emergency. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on, on, on how widespread it was, the next thing they would do and they would say, we've got to control food. Mm. And the next thing they would do is create a condition where we had a food, a food bank. Mm. And then the next thing they'd do is control whether or not you were compliant enough to get any. Right. That's not an imagination. Yeah. They no, just did right. that with COVID. Yep. You're exactly right. And even on a smaller scale in, in Florida, they had in uh, Broward County some floods. And same thing happened. It, it was a state of emergency. FEMA comes in. And then FEMA is now the one to stand and <laughs> yeah. make all the rules yeah, and yeah. tell you what you can and can't be entitled to. That's exactly it. And so one of my major concerns and the whole purpose of our bill is to keep this whole business of emer emergency from taking over our food right. and controlling our food. So the United States, um, you t here's, this is an irritant for me. And I, I keep pushing for it because I don't think the legislature really understood what they were doing when they passed this in 19 in 2019 they passed hb 411 Are you guys familiar with it hb 411 yeah okay I, I i don't want to put you on the spot because what it is is it's a bill that says that the that the state is going to formally support uh and intend all of the counties local communities and cities to convert to being net zero and they're going, to, crazy. they're going to share money with them in order to encourage them to do that. Nobody stops and asks the question, what happens if we actually do? Right. Do we have the infrastructure to be able to actually do that and sustain that? Yeah. And this bill was passed in 2019, before, uh, just before COVID. Before COVID, yeah. yeah. I think actually Chelsea's brought that up on one of our yes, shows. absolutely. Yeah, this is just, it's just insane. It's, so here's what's happened to electricity prices over the last uh, year, just over the last, excuse me, the last two years, up 23%. Over the last three years, they're up 30%. Wow. Our energy, our cost of electricity. Right. right. But we need to have no coal plants. Yeah. We need to get rid of coal plants. Senator Ivory 
God bless him, has stepped in and, and, and got a bill to protect Utah from having its coal-fired uh, uh, coal electrical plants destroyed. It's a yeah. whole different conversation. Can, can, but he should be thanked for that. We appreciate that. Can I be? So here's my <clears throat> position. There's no food, no freedom. In a future, in, here's what I think. In a, in, if, for, in, a, in, a non, in any crisis, including non-governmental con- directed, calories in a real crisis are going to become the currency of exchange. That's right. So the question, if you, if you could exchange work to get food, you're going to say, how, much, how many calories can I get for my family from the food I'm getting in exchange for a day's worth of work? Well, that goes back to your earlier slide about it being what nine meals away from anarchy. Correct. And that, and that has been tested since that guy, um, since Macon wrote that, wrote that piece. So we're creating a, a, a 80% of the food grown locally is exported, processed, and brought back into the state of Utah. We need to keep food, make yes, sure we have 100%, food in, in, the state of 100%. U, in the state of Utah. And we haven't even touched on China. China buying farmlands, China trying to control uh, how production. Much, yeah, how much it, China think, owning our pig farms here in Utah, the biggest pig farm in America, China owns. And you posted something on social media not too long ago where Whole Foods can put uh, an organic stamp on it, and it's the reason just they can garbage from China, not regulated at all. Right, they can serves, bypass serves it. Serves those people right buying that garbage. Um, all right, we don't have too much more time, so I want to kind of hear a little more about your bill before we run out of time. Let me get through this. I I skipped the part about what happened with, uh, and I want to make sure I say something about that. Um, Climate change has become a religion for urban atheists. Mm. They have done a really good job selling us on the fact that their view is the, the view. There is no such thing as the science. And I think it's really important that we remember that. There, in, in, in any real science conversation, disagreement is the core components of science. We've Testing. lost, we've lost debate. Right. We've lost conversation. Yeah. So um, the bill that we're talking about is, is basically tied to that we do, no, no food, no freedom. It has the components that I talked about earlier. It's a um, protect the state from the federal government, protect our food from interference, protect the, the food industry from interference by the uh, governor. In an, in, a, in, a, in an emergency and a prohibition on, on making rules that impact food by agencies, government, I love it. people we don't vote for, like the health department, Department of Agriculture. Um, so this is the last quote. It's a, 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 from Steve Coonan, and I, I strongly recommend it. There should be no question about what the right balance is between being effective and being honest. Is the height of hubris for a scientist even to consider deliberately misinforming policy discussions in service of what they believe right. to be ethical. This would seem obvious in another context. Imagine the outcry if it were discovered that scientists were misrepresenting data on birth control because of their religious beliefs. Well said, because wow. that's what's happening. Yeah. So we created a, um, as part of our, our work, we created a, a project called Utah First Food 
it's a it's a it's a tool. That's the way we like to think of it. It's a tool to make certain that consumers can can purchase food directly from uh, ranchers, farmers, growers, and processors, and that so that it opens up that conduit. So we don't have to ship it out of the state yep. in order to get it. And it, it is now functional. It's up and operational. And, um, oops, um, it's up and operational and people can go online and we're adding, we just, we now have beef, pork and lamb on it. We're opening it up to um, uh, other ranchers. Farmer who wants to sell half a beef can, can post it on the site. And we're going to have uh, fresh food, fresh fruits. Uh, we're, and we're adding, I'm actually going next week or the week after to meet with a, a, a dairy that produces milk that lasts, has a two-year shelf life. Wow. Jeez, that's cool. That's that, that would be great to have. Mm-hmm. So you, utahfirstfood.com. It's operational. It's operational. It's for currently functioning. So and, ch- uh, we're going to put, put the link in the show notes. So make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And people can buy food from it right now today. It's a nonprofit operation. It's nonprofit. It's not a, it's not a, not, it's a not for profit. Nobody's making any money. It's totally created in every way by volunteers. I love it because that's the key. The key to fighting this fight is, is being in, is uh, parallel economies. It is uh you know, and, and this is a perfect example of a parallel economy. And, you know, principles that are true are princ- for individuals and families are also prin- are usually true for states and countries. And one of the most important principles is being self-reliant. And we should be so as individuals, as families, and as a state. And I love what you're doing because that's what you're allowing us to do is, look, we know that this uh, climate change is being used to cause famines, um, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And the best thing we can do is be aware of that, see the road signs and start investing in our farmers, investing in our backyard, especially when we have the state who is pushing farmers out right now and, and using the water for big tech and for mining lithium at, U- at the Great Salt Lake. Uh, any final thoughts, Alexia, before we wrap it up? No, you know, I'm just, calls to action are always <clears throat> on my mind when, you know, I, 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 when we put out this content for our viewers and, you know, some of the content is scary. You know, it's like, oh, you know, all these scary things are happening and what can we do about it? And I feel like Utah is a really good state when it comes to preparedness. Yeah. And it's good to always be prepared and, and have food storage. But I think we also need to think more creatively about being self-sustaining, having less government control, both in the state and the federal level. So while it's good to be prepared and have, you know, a year or two of food storage, we also should think short term what we can do now to protect ourselves, protect our family, protect our community. And that's why I love what what Doug has brought today and to have something like Utah First Food that we can invest in, not, you know, obviously for profit, but invest in to find solutions, um, I think is really helpful. So anyways, thank you, Doug, for what you're doing. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Please share, like, and uh, subscribe. And God bless you. God bless America. And God bless Utah.